uh, laid with it on the scales. Then I would be heavier than the sands of the sea. Therefore, my words um, have, been, have been swallowed up. And yours, we'll get to that in a second if you're reading a little bit differently. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are uh, as loathsome food to me. So, so we're just going to then go through this section. And this is, if we wanted to summarize it, I think uh, we'd be saying... Um, Job is replying, my complaint is just. Uh, he says, I wish, uh, I wish my grief could be quantified in some way. Right? If it could be fully weighed. If you could weigh something, obviously it can't. It's a subjective thing, right? Um, if you think of the most difficult thing when you're suffering, what, what would be the most difficult thing to hear when you're suffering, it is probably the phrase, I understand, right? That's, um, and I, this is kind of, I think, what Job's wish is, oh yes, I wish you could really understand. I, I wish, you know, you've, you've sat and you've been nice for a week and then, and then you're, you're, you know, starting in with, with the criticisms or what have you. I wish you really could understand, uh, because when you're in it, 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 even if someone's gone through something similar, you can't really understand what that specific situation's like. So we come to this phrase, and I wanted to, to get back. Verse, verse 3, um, he says, uh, Therefore my words are swallowed up. And you might have a, a phrase in there that almost sounds the opposite. Um, he says, Therefore my words have been rash uh, or hasty. Uh, something to that effect. Uh, and so how do... It's almost two opposite ideas um, that, that might be coming out here. Uh, and this is because we have idioms. Sometimes in, in our language we have idioms that sound almost exactly alike, but say in, in, in actuality two opposite things. And I'll give you an example. If a man liked a, a girl and he wanted to compose poetry to her, um, to impress her. Uh, maybe they met in some poetry class and he was going to try his poetry. Uh, he might write something to the effect of, uh, you have a face that could make the sands of time stand still. She might think that was very nice and wonderful. If, however, he wasn't good at poetry and he wrote to her that you have a face that could stop a clock, it would produce a largely different reaction. Even though, in actuality, he said the same exact thing. He's talked about the effect of her face on the apparatus which charts time, uh, and, and both of them standing still. So, so we, it's, he's saying the exact opposite thing in both cases. So the words and, and things... So we, we're going back and we're looking at idioms uh, and trying to figure out what idioms mean as we translate the Bible. And so that makes us a little bit difficult, right? Well, we have, even connected to this specific idiom, we have idioms that are opposite even in the English language. Um, so 
Um, we can talk about, I wish I could get my words back. Like, I wish I could eat. You know, we talk about eating. He's going to eat his words. Like, he said things too hastily, and he's, he's going to eat them. Right? And that, so some people, in a lot of versions, have kind of translated it this way. There's the other thing we're, we're, we're talk, where you talk about, like, I don't have the words to say. I, I, I just don't have the words to say. Which is, I wish I could express it, but I can't. So, so it's, it's the opposite. In one case, he's wishing he hadn't expressed it. And in the other case, depending on which idiom we would use, he would be wanting to express it, but has the inability. It, it, and both has to do with this swallowing of words. It's really from the same thing. So which one is it? Well, um, I disagree, unfortunately, with the majority, which, which will translate this as having been too rash. The reason I say that is because nothing in Job's speech, whether previous, now, or into the future, is going to suggest that he's going to um, you know, think that his words were incorrect in any way. In fact, he's going to start doubling down on everything through the next uh, couple of chapters. And then with each response, he he's even more adamant and more adamant until at some point God has to say, <laughs> okay, we need to slow down here and, um, and, and correct the situation. Uh, so he's not really thinking his words are rash at this point. Uh, and, and this is really setting up. He's, what I think he's saying is, uh, and even as we open up in this chapter, he's, he said, I wish it could be weighed. I wish I could express my grief, uh, but I can't. So it's just kind of a, a, just an explanation. So we always kind of have to be careful. Again, poetry and idioms are, are difficult. Um, and so he gives this reference to food. And this kind of confirms what we're talking about, what we've just said. Um, he talks about, um, you know, um, does the ox low over its fodder, does the donkey bray if it has food. He's talking about animals complaining. <laughs> he's like, I haven't complained for no reason. He's, he's justifying his complaint. He's not saying, I've been too rash. I probably shouldn't have said that. He's saying, listen, donkeys and cows, they complain when they don't got food. If they have food, they don't make noise. They don't have problems. Uh, so, so he's suggesting, this is my complaint. Um, and he's, he's, he says, uh, is there any taste of an, in the white of an egg? And he says, can flavorless food be eaten with salt? He's saying, my life, really. I mean, an egg, I mean, and really the word is, is not an egg, but it's a, it's a reference to the egg white. Right? It's specifically what it's, what it's a reference to. Uh, can you eat a, egg whites are gross. Um, they're nasty, right? Without the yolk, I mean, just the egg is, I mean, some people don't like eggs at all, but you know, we, we pack eggs in our kids' lunches and we have to, like, throw salt in there because, you know, who wants an egg without salt? And he's, that's, his, that's the way he's viewing his life. My life is, it just has, no, there's, there's not anything good about it. There's nothing to make it flavorful. I can't look at my life and look at anything uh, and, and see anything worth. There's no silver lining. I don't see a silver lining anywhere. So we're going to get into this next section here in verse 8. And we're, there's not a lot that we're going to pull from it because, again, it's a, a poetry and it, it, a lot of it's just a, a descriptive. 
um, of, a, of one general concept. So it says, verse 8, he says, Oh, that I could have my request that God would grant me the one thing that I long for. And we've already talked about that. He says that it would please God to crush me, that he would lose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort. Though in anguish, I would exult. He wouldn't spare me, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope, and what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength like the strength of a stone, or is my flesh made of bronze? Is my help not within me, and is success driven from me? So, um, Job is simply talking about his limitations. These are my limitations. I'm a human. And I would much rather um, just die and get it over with. What, what's, what's the point? Um, he, he says, I'm not, I'm not superhuman. I, I, I'm not made of, I'm, I'm not the man of steel. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having problems. And, and, you know, when people have what they think, or whether it's real or perceived a terminal illness, and Joe probably thinks he has a terminal illness. We talked about that uh, leading up to this. Um, you know, there's a point where people fight, and I'm going to get through this, and I'm not going to let this beat me. And, and, and sometimes they come out of it, and they're like, wow, they never doubted, and they got through it. But there's, there's, there comes a point where, as it takes over their body, whatever it is, that, that you see them resign themselves. Okay, right, now we're moving on to the next step, and what's the next step? And, and it feels like Job is kind of at this point, where um, where he's saying, I'm not, I'm not made of steel. I, I can't do this forever. Um, my, uh, I don't have strength like stones. I'm, I'm a little bit easier to break apart. And so, at this point, I would just like to die, and I wish God would embrace this, this request. Because um, then I would... Uh, I would have some ending from my, my grief. Then we get into a little bit of a longer section that I think is, uh, has more in it that's applicable, uh, perhaps. So beginning in verse 14, he says, To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brook that will pass away, which are dark because of the ice, and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The path of their way turns aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans of Tama shook. The travelers of Sheba hoped them. They are disappointed because they were confident. They come there and are confused, for now you are nothing. You see terror and you are afraid. Did you ever say, did I ever say to you, bring something to me, or offer me a, a bribe from your wealth, or deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the oppressors? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand where I have erred. How forcefully are the right words 
But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of desperate one which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. So now therefore, be happy to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now. Let there be no injustice. Yes, concede my righteousness. It still stands. Is there injustice in my tongue? Can't my taste discern what is unsavory? And we read through the end there. I was going to just go through verse 27. But, but this section, um, I think, uh, is um, it's an address to his friends, obviously. And, and I, the first section is kind of what I would entitle, with friends like you, you know, who needs enemies? Um, and you go through this. He, what is, if you look at this, he, he lists... One important duty, probably more if we wanted to go through it and pull it apart by, by, uh, by theme or, or by concept, but one important role of a friend, um, and that is um, pity. To him who is afflicted, kindness, or you say pity or kindness, some versions say pity, kindness should be shown by his friends. And he says, even if he had forsaken the fear of God, um, in, in this one, and what's interesting is, is some versions say uh, that, uh, he says, but you have forsaken the fear of God. So, so it's kind of, again, we're getting into idioms and we're not sure if he's saying uh, one thing or another. Um, uh, is is he saying that Eliphaz does not fear God? Um, he could be saying that. Or is he saying, listen, your job is to show kindness on a friend even if he doesn't fear God. Even if I was... So he could be saying one of two things. Even if I had been guilty of what you're accusing me of, I'm still in a desperate situation and, and you're not acting the right way towards me in that condition. Or he could be saying... Um, Eliphaz, because you're not showing kindness, because you're, um, you're, you're not showing any pity on me, uh, it's obvious that you're the one without the fear of God. Um, and, and we go back and, and to, to give credence to this possible interpretation. And again, this, this I have no idea which one is the correct one. Um, throughout the Old Testament... And I know this is before Moses' law, but God had kind of principles about how you were supposed to treat people. Um, Kind of just step back, if you would, just from from where we are at. We kind of have this view of Job, and I think it's based on what we understand of what Job had been, because we all know that Job was rich and everything, right? Job is now destitute. He's poor. He has nothing. Uh, he doesn't have any family. He, uh, he is, he is, he's a guy on the corner, <laughs> you know, with the cardboard sign at this point, uh, in bad health. And he's like, you don't even have that kind of compassion for me, which is what God wants. Uh, so, so what kind of fear of God do you have? You're accusing me of not fearing God, but... You're not doing things that he's 
he, he wants you to do either. Uh, so, so that's what his friends are. What else does he accuse his friends of in this passage? As he talks down, he talks about them being like uh, a brook, um, like a water which, which vanishes. And like, what is that talking about? Remember that in this part of the country, most of the water um, ways, if you will, uh, most, most brooks and streams are what we call a wadi. A wadi is, uh, in the rainy season or flash flooding, it, it'd be like a, a riverbed. It, they're usually dry, and they only fill up with water when, um, you know, when, when it's a rainy season. And they'll flow until the water runs out, and then they're dry again. So um, he's like, you're deceitful, like, like a brook, like a stream. And then, then the heat comes out, and then you're gone. Um, so while he's, he's essentially saying, when you're fair-weather friends, when, when, I was, when I was like you, you were good friends. And, um, and now it seems that, that I'm really down on my luck, I mean, you had a hard time sticking with me for seven days. That was about it. That's all you can handle of being my friend. Seven days. Uh, and now you're against me. And so he's, he's, he's uh, accusing them of being unreliable. Um, and he talks about their futility. Um, I'm not sure if you catch the references here um, to, to locations. And it's, it's connected to the... Um, to talking about the the the, the wadis or the the brooks, but he references Tema. Um, so that's this is Eliphaz the Temanite, right? So he's using some a reference that Eliphaz would understand. Uh, and I think he's contrasting a couple of things. Uh, he's, he's, he's using the wadis of Tema, where Eliphaz is from, as a, as a metaphor for Eliphaz. Right? And he talks about Sheba, or Seba. We, we've talked about the Sabaeans. Uh, and so, so what would happen was is there, these caravans of people would come, and they'd be looking for uh, their water for their camels or whatever and you know there's usually this wadi over there and, and then what do you know you get there and it's not there and it, you could be in a difficult situation if there was no water and so you know here I am I'm, I'm looking for something and I'm looking for some type of relief I'm, I'm counting on some of my friends and and here here you are uh, a wadi from Tema. That's what you are, Eliphaz, who is from Tema. You're a, you're a, you're a brook in Tema. And I came to you and you were dry. It's just futility. Uh, so he's being pretty harsh back to, um, to Eliphaz. And he's asking um, for some things. Now, first of all, Job's motives... Uh, indicate his innocence. It's the first thing he says. He says, look at my motives. Okay, so, so let's talk. You've accused me of some things generically, philosophically. 
But let's, let's examine the situation. Have I asked you for any money? You got here. If, if, I was, if I was guilty of all these things that you said, wouldn't I have asked you for something? Wouldn't I have had some, some kind of motives? Well, look at my motives. You know, it'll, it'll determine you know, the, the heart of the person. But I got here and I didn't ask you for money. I didn't say even protect me from people. Uh, now, now that people see he's vulnerable, you know, if they come looking for whatever he might have left, uh, he didn't say protect me from him. I, I haven't asked for anything. So he says, could you do something productive? Right? Just do something productive. And that's in, in verse 24. He says, teach me and I will, I'll, I'll be quiet if you, if you teach me. You, you've said that you can teach me. You asked to talk and I let you, I permit you to talk. You, you know, the, 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 the friend said, hey, can you take it? We'll, we'll, we have some advice, but are you able to handle it or... So he's like, I let you go. But he's like, listen, if you're gonna, if you're going to teach me, if, if you actually have something, he says, cause me to understand where I've been wrong. You, you've, you've spoken philosophically, but you really haven't said anything productive. You really haven't told me anywhere where I'm actually wrong. You've just made these general statements that bad things don't happen to, to good people. So analyze my life and then and then point out where I'm wrong. And I'll listen to you. So Eliphaz has, has spoken, but hasn't really given anything productive, right? Um, he says, truly upright words are helpful. They're productive. If, if, you, if you speak, even in grief, um, you know, there's a time where as people move through grief, at first, you know, you don't, you don't talk, you don't. You know, give advice. That's that doesn't help, right? And we talked about how Jesus comes, uh, and he's talking with Mary and Martha. He's really not giving them advice at the beginning. He waits. Then they talk about some things, but uh, but at the beginning, you're just there to comfort. But in in time, at least if you know what you're doing, you can probably say something that will start a person. They might not like it. Uh, but in in some at some point it's appropriate to talk. But if it's truly upright, then then it might be productive at some point. And Job says, "I'm not going to reject something that's legitimate. I'll, I'll listen." But he says, "What does your arguing prove? It, it's completely unproductive. You you're, you're using all these arguments, but they're they're really not built on anything." And then he really launches into some accusations. He says, uh, You intend to rebuke my words in the speeches of a desperate one, which are like wind. And it's like, a lot of what I'm saying, I'm just saying I'm complaining because I'm, I don't feel good. You ever done that? You just kind of complain and you're just kind of, you're blown off hot, hot steam or whatever, you know, it's just, you're releasing, you're venting. We call it venting, right? Which is kind of the same idea, like wind, air, and venting, right? It's the same idiom. 
he's like, and you're you're trying to handle this logically and philosophically, and you're doing a poor job of it. And he says, you overwhelm, you would overwhelm the the fatherless and undermine your friend. And I think that's interesting. Uh, to overwhelm, you overwhelm me. And I wonder uh, if, I don't know, if the way Job is composed, it's composed a little bit neater probably than things happened. You know, as you record a history, you kind of simplify the story. And I get the sense that it wasn't just Eliphaz that first and only spoke. I have a feeling that maybe maybe Eliphaz kind of was the first main speaker, but kind of they're throwing comments too, which is kind of how conversations tend to go. Uh, that that they're kind of he's getting the feeling that that they're ganging up, and even Eliphaz talked about that at at the at the end of his speech. He talked about if we go back to chapter five, he concluded with the thought, "Look, we've searched this out. It's true. Here and not for yourself, right?" So he's he concluded his last piece of evidence, you know, br- bringing in these other two guys. So so it's it seems an indication that that he's feeling ganged up on. You're overwhelming me, like you, like 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 someone picking on an orphan, you know. I feel orphaned. I mean, he's lost his kids, uh, but he's the one that feels like an orphan. Uh, so, and then he says, uh, "You undermine your friend," uh, and some say you trap your friend, and I, I think that's kind of a little bit more accurate. That that he feels entrapped. In, in in this conversation, they've, they've structured, and we, we looked at the structure of Eliphaz, like how he built up his argument. He opened up his first half of his speech was all uh, laying the groundwork for what he was going to say. Well, uh, he, and he referred to, uh, well, Job, you said this, and and then this is what I've observed, and and I got a, then I got a vision from God, you know, and he's he's built up this case. And then he concludes with, and, and all of us agree. Like, and Job's getting this feeling, like, you've, you've built this all up for me you, 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 to, to try to trap me. You, you haven't really built a speech to help me. You've built a speech to trap me. And uh, it's a danger in our conversations and, and to note and be aware to look for things in other people's conversations, but not just in other people's conversations, in your own conversations. I think sometimes we do this, that we look for the evidence that supports our conclusion. Right? Um, I have a point where I'm going to get to, and Eliphaz and the others might have already had their conclusion of what has happened to Job on their way to meet him. And so as they just are quiet for a week, they might be observing things or formulating their thoughts, or however they're doing. But it's like, it's like you came to trap me and you didn't come to help me. Uh, so, so be aware when, when people aren't interested in investigating the reality of a situation, but just coming to a predetermined conclusion. Uh, and, and nothing is going to sway them from that conclusion. And that's these guys. Job is guilty. 
So he concludes this chapter, and we're gonna. This is kind of the the, the longer of the two, but um, he concludes this chapter by asking for some objectivity. He says, "So please, if you want, look at me. I'm not gonna lie to your face. So just yield now, and don't let any don't let any injustice. If you're gonna examine me, do it from a point of justice." and fairness and accurate. But do this first. Concede that I'm righteous. Concede that I haven't done anything wrong. Because you know I haven't. You've not seen me do anything wrong or say anything wrong. You have no evidence of that. Have I? Is there any injustice in my tongue? Right. Is there any... Can't my taste discern the unsavory? In other words, you know, um, people who are in sin or who are unrighteous after a while have the inability to taste the difference between what's right and wrong. Uh, they don't know. They lose their filter. You could say they lose their filter. Right? You ever know somebody that lost their filter? And everyone around them still has their filter. And it's like, you're kind of going where... And every, ah, what are you doing? Um, and so, um, it's like, I still understand the difference between right and wrong, don't I? Uh, I'm not guilty of what you're accusing me of. And so, this appeal to... Um, Objectivity is going to end up setting up the rest of his answer to Eliphaz. So we're going to go through chapter 7 a little bit uh, quicker. Verse 1 through 10. He says, Is there not a time of hard service for a man on this earth? Aren't his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade? Like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages, so I have been allotted months of futility, wearisome nights which have been appointed to me. When I lay down, I say, when can I get up again? When is the night going to be over? For I've had my fill of tossing and turning until dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dirt. My skin is cracked, and then it breaks out again. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they are spent hopelessly. Oh, remember that my life is only like a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will not see me anymore. While your eyes are on me, I shall no longer be. And the cloud disappears and vanishes, and so is he who goes down to the grave, and he doesn't come up. He will never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. So let's stop there. This is a bleak outlook. Right, this and, and with good reason. Now, uh, you need to look. He says, "Is there not uh, are not the days of, uh, or the time of a hard service for man on the earth? Are not his days like the days of a hired man?" And and some versions almost read to suggest uh, that they're they're composed to. Um, Almost sound like it's it's uh, like are not the days allotted for a man? Almost like um, God predetermines our days, and we talk about that all. Oh, uh, my days are numbered, uh, and and things like that. 
is this a confirmation of a predetermined lifespan? When God, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go, um, and all, all that. Remember that this is poetry. In fact, in this same exact section of scriptures, we're going to see something that can't possibly uh, be taken as doctrinally true. Uh, we'll get to that in a little, in a little bit. Uh, but um, actually, why don't we just do that right now? Verse 9, um, he says, The cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to Sheol doesn't come up. And some say the grave. Uh, this version says the grave, that's Sheol, that's like Hades, right? Is he saying then that, that whoever goes and dies never comes back again? Well, that would be an incorrect statement, right? That's, that's not an accurate portrayal of life after death. Uh, so this is, this, is not, this is not intended, I don't think, to be a doctrinal statement. Um, it's an observation of, of humanity, maybe. So, um, so this is his, um, just a description of his bleak outlook, physically. Um, now, we've already seen incorrect assumptions from Job, Eliphaz, and the messengers right, about doctrinal things, right? where things come from. Oh, God, God did this to me, uh, and they're just general. God, a wind of fire came down from God and destroyed everything. Um, so, so we don't want to get too far into making doctrinal statements from from poetry. As my my warning. <laughs> but it's about his personal suffering. Notice he he quantifies quantifies the time. He says months are appointed to me. Now I don't know if that means he's been suffering for months or if he feels like I've only got months left to live. Um, that seems to be the way he's talking about, because it seems to be focusing on when he's going to die. Uh, but either way, uh, this has gone on for some time, and he doesn't feel like it's doesn't look like it's going to go on much longer. And he just wishes it would happen now, whenever. But he says months are appointed to me, and we get into this suffering paradox. Now, when you suffer, I don't know. Most people have some sort of health problem, health issue that pops up. Now we're again. Uh, when you are suffering something, what do you want to do? I want to sleep. I get migraine headaches, and uh, and I want to go to sleep. I don't I don't want to look at anything where there's light. I am very irritable. <laughs> I am not happy to be around. I don't want to listen to music. I don't care how nice the music is. Uh, I just want to sleep. And sometimes sleep is worse. Sometimes when you're asleep, you feel it worse. It's like everything's accentuated inside your head. Uh, and it's it's like I'm not. I, I don't feel good asleep. I don't feel good awake. Uh, and you just you just want it to break. You don't know what to do. Uh, and so. Um, and that's only a touch of what he's saying. He's like, I'm laying down and I'm tossing and turning because there's no comfortable position. He's got sores head to toe. And he's like, and all he's thinking while he's sleeping is, oh, can I get up now? <laughs> uh, maybe I'll feel good if I get up. And, and he, he just, he, this is his suffering. There's, there's no relief anywhere. Um, and he goes, just when it starts to scab over, oh, maybe now. 
right? Maybe now God will let me start to recover so it starts to dry and it's caked with these worms and it's gross, it's nasty. But it starts to dry out and he goes, oh, and then, and then it starts all over again. Breaks out, starts cracking and pus and, oh, it's gross. And um, he says, my days are like a weaver's shuttle. What in the world? So I, I looked up what weaver's shuttle. And I came up with a YouTube video and, and, um, and found like people on a loom making rugs or whatever, clothes. And just this thing goes up and they shoot the thread through, push something, and it separates and they shoot it back the other way and it just... And, and his thread is going back and, and people who have worked the loom, they can... I, I remember seeing this and actually I, I saw it uh, when I visited. I was in Turkey and they make the, the nice, the Persian carpets and all that, you know, oriental rugs or whatever. And... Uh, and you just see them making these beautiful silk carpets. And I mean, they are fast. And, and you're, you're looking at it, and all of a sudden, this beautiful design, just, you're like, you have no idea until it starts getting pressed. And they're just going back and forth, and they're making this incredibly fast, this, this carpet. And that, he says, that's what my days are like. It's just like, it's just, they're going by. Now, that's kind of weird to me, because it would seem like, uh, you know, when you're in that kind of pain, that it, time seems to go slow. Like, so what is he saying that that it's going by fast? If if you know the time actually seems to slow down when you're when you have pain, it's like, oh, how long has it been? It's been oh, it's been ten minutes, <laughs> and you're waiting until the next moment you can take Tylenol or whatever. Like, oh my goodness, I've still got three hours and fifty minutes. But I think he's looking at his life in general. And he's like, where has the time gone? I, I'm getting ready to die. Um, and I, it doesn't seem like my life is, like I've had the full enjoyment of my life. It seems like it's gone by too quick and it's almost over. And so we get into this last section, verse 11 through 21, uh, really quickly. It says, therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. And so, so again, we talked about, oh, I've spoken too rashly. He doesn't think he's spoken too rashly. He just said, I'm not going to restrain myself. <laughs> I'm going to speak in the anguish of my spirit. I'm going to complain against the bitterness of my soul. Now listen to this in verse 12, and I want to see if you can catch the tone in the audience. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and you terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I hate my life. I don't want to live forever. Leave me alone. My days are just like a breath. What is man that you should uh, exalt him or lift him up? That you should set your heart on him? That you should visit him every morning? Test him every moment? How long will you look away from me? Just leave me alone. Till I swallow my saliva. Have I sinned? What have I done to you? O watcher of men, why have you set me up as your target, so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now 
I'm going to lie down in the, lust, the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer exist. And can you catch who he's talking to here? He's no longer talking to Eliphaz. Um, and there's a couple of phrases in here that definitely bring that out. He's like, How, why do you visit man every morning? What is man that you look on him? He's talking to God. Uh, he says, he says, why do you pay attention to mankind? What is man that you pay attention to him? And, and it seems like an inordinate amount of attention has been directed to me. He's like, and it's like, wait a second. I thought he said he was innocent because he says, uh, why don't you pardon my sin? And then remember, Job is the type that had would sacrifice if just in case. Right? If you remember that. So I think he's probably already done that. He's like, why don't you just forgive my sin? I've, I've done everything I can, even if, if I had sinned. I've done everything I can to, to do it. So, so why can't you just forgive me? Either kill me or forgive me. Uh, but why? And, he's like, and he says this. And it's an interesting thought. Uh, what is my, my sin doesn't touch you. Right? Our sin doesn't touch God. He's like, wait a minute. What are you saying? Our sin against God is very important. And I don't think he's saying that our sin doesn't hurt God in the, in the sense that God isn't emotionally hurt by my sin. But that... Um, and it's not even saying that our sin isn't bad. But I think he's saying, in reality, my sin does not damage God. God is God. And if I choose to sin, it, it doesn't like somehow divinely go up to heaven and, and like God is like, oh, wow. I'm, something dramatically tragic happened to me because he sinned. And that's, I think, Job is trying to be very reverent here, not irreverent. I'm just a man. I, I don't touch you. You're so high above me. Um, and so at this point, he's not even talking to Job's friend. We're going to close with, with that. And I hope that there's, this brings some perspective. And, um, you know, if, if you're going through things, uh, to look and, and see some common things and... and if you know somebody in uh, in suffering, to look at them and, and and to understand their perspective through Job, um, to to be careful and cautious with the way that you approach them, uh, and, and and talk with them, um, and uh, and it's advice for us to be good friends. So we're going to conclude with that.